Good morning. It's great to be here with you. I'd like to uh, dismiss the children to Children's Church and that they can uh, enjoy their time uh, hearing a lesson that's appropriate for them. And we've got quite a crowd going this morning. That's great. So give them a minute to, uh, to get out the door here. Um, and then let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer and take a look at the word. Father, thank you this morning for uh, coming together to uh, worship you, to glorify you, to praise your name, and to hear from your word. Be with us in your word that um, uh, your spirit fills us and, uh, and we can learn and be edified and be encouraged uh, by uh, this uh, passage in Ephesians. Thank you for this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. So I hope you all had a great Christmas. Uh, looking forward to New Year's. <clears throat> for us, it was a little different. Um, you know, Kathy and I, uh, as most of you are aware, have been empty nesters for a while, uh, not having any children in the house. And then this Christmas, we had a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So uh, Christmas was a little bit more energetic. Uh, it was a little louder. It was a little messier. And what's up with AA batteries? My goodness. I mean, we buy like crates of them, and then they're all gone. Everything in the world runs on a AA battery. It's kind of amazing. I, uh, Matt reminded me in uh, one of the uh, Incredibles movies, Mr. Incredible is going, he's mumbling about, you know, he says, what's with AA batteries? He says, I'm out. I go to the store, I buy some, I come home, and I'm still out of AA batteries. So uh, that is uh, kind of one of the things that went on, but we had a great time, and I hope you did as well. We've been looking at this series of strangers during the Advent season, and how God has called strangers to himself. We saw Ruth, a Moabite widow. Uh, we saw Naaman, a Syrian gen general uh, with leprosy. Uh, we saw the widow in Zarephath that uh, Elijah went to and provided for. And then last week we talked about the Magi who came and worshipped Jesus as king. <clears throat> this final week, although... Advent is, is over. This is after Advent. We're, uh, we're looking at the last strangers in our series. And the last strangers are us. This whole thing's been leading up to we are those strangers. Um, I don't know everybody's history and cultural background and genealogy, uh, but uh, many of us are uh, Gentile. Uh, if you are of a Jewish descent, that's uh, wonderful. Um, I would encourage you to still listen because this isn't exclusively to the Gentile. It's to the stranger who is separated from God. Paul's writing in the first century. He's writing to first century Gentiles, believers in the city of Ephesus. Now, this was likely written from Rome, probably around 62 A.D., uh, while he was imprisoned in Rome. We learned about this in the last chapter of Acts. If you remember Tim's series in Acts, that's where the book of Acts ends, is with Paul being imprisoned in Rome. And this was when, most likely, this letter was written. We start with uh, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you 
Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So the uncircumcision, that was a derogatory term used by the Jews towards the Gentiles. It was actually a physical condition. Uh, those who were circumcised by, um, uh, by, the, by hands, you know, physically in the flesh, and uh, Gentiles did not practice that. So it was, it was a term of derision to, to the Gentiles from the Jews. <clears throat> and there was a social alienation due to the animosity that had always existed between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles were outside the covenant people of God. They were strangers because the Jews wouldn't want to know them. They're strangers because Jews didn't associate with them. So they were strangers <coughs> and were kept away. Gentiles were also strangers because they had no desire to follow God. They didn't follow God's people. They didn't follow God's commandments and ordinances. So they were strangers to the people of God because they didn't follow uh, the same God. Ultimately, it came down to Jews and Gentiles just didn't like each other. They both thought of the other one as undesirable. Let's talk last week about the Magi coming into the, the city and you, you just, why are they coming to worship the king of the Jews? Who are the Jews? They're nobody. That was the view of the Gentiles. The Jews are looking at Gentiles and going, you're a filthy, unclean people that God seemingly doesn't recognize in their view. In verse 12, remember, uh, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So breaking it down, separated, alienated, strangers having no hope. Might as well tell them they're ugly and their mother dressed them funny. I mean, there's just nothing complimentary in that sentence at all. There's nothing encouraging <clears throat> to be separated, to be alienated, but to be strangers with no hope. Paul's telling him, that's who you used to be. These all describe the stranger. These all describe the person who's outside any participation in this, it says commonwealth, but common wealth in this community. Uh, they're, they're separated from that community and they're separated from Christ. They were. To be separated from Old Testament Israel is to be separated from Christ. Uh, Jesus said it himself in John 4.22, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So in the first century, if you, if you weren't, you know, Jewish or following um, the Jewish laws and ordinances, you were, you were separated because salvation came through the Jews. And he says, having no hope and without God in the world. What a terrifying thought. To be without God and have no hope. That's, that has to be the most horrible status in the world to be in. The condition of hopelessness without God is horrible. It's terrifying because it goes beyond this life. It goes beyond the here and now. 
This is something that is for eternity. To die outside of Christ means you're lost for eternity. That's why this is terrifying. That condition is so horrible. To the believer, it's unthinkable. He comes to, he calls, uh, the covenants of promise. Um, said uh, that you were uh, strangers to the covenants and promise. God brings redemption in the Old Testament through his oath-bound covenants. He made a covenant, a contract, an agreement with various people. We have the, the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, uh, specific, a specific narrow one is the Davidic covenant. But there are covenants, agreements between God and man. So God makes a promise with his covenant and his promise is redemption. A promise of reconciling us who are bound in sin and moving us from death to life. That's the, that's the, the promise uh, that was expressed in the covenants God made uh, with the people of Israel. The promise is God with us. The promise is a way to reconcile us to God. So there were Gentiles that were cut off from God. They were without Christ. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That was God's chosen people. Israel was a nation whose king and lord, ruler and shepherd was God himself. Uh, the community of people who have a promise from God. That, that was the wealth of this community, this commonwealth. So it says Gentiles were strangers to the covenants of promise. This, that's God's divine promise uh, to his people. Uh, interesting little uh, thing. Uh, the word translated covenants is plural. And the word translated promise is singular. Both the covenants and the promise indicates to us that the sum of the covenants, we need to be careful here, but some of the covenants revealed to us in the Old Testament concern a specific promise that is revealed in the Old Testament. And I think that's a specific reference to the promise of the Messiah. To paraphrase that, that sentence, we can say, strangers to the covenants that promised salvation through the Messiah. So you can see how big this alienation is. You are a stranger. And you, what are you a stranger to? Certainly Israel, certainly to the Jews. That's not the point. I say that a lot, don't I? I give you a big long explanation and go, but that's not the point. The point is you are strangers and aliens and outside the commonwealth of the promise of the Messiah. That's what's important. Now the encouraging part is Paul's talking to redeemed believers in Ephesus and what he states is in the past tense. He states that they had been Gentiles without God and without hope. That's the good part. <laughs> That's the good part of this message is this is their past tense. And we can all look and say, we all have a past tense. We all have a time 
in our life where we are a stranger and an alien in our relationship with God. But it can be past tense. You once were. And that all gets set aside. They were Gentiles without God, without hope. But now, through Jesus Christ, at the cross, there is provision. There is room made for this alienated people to become citizens of the nation of Israel. Think how amazing that is. They're being brought in. Elsewhere, Paul refers to these former Gentiles as now being Israelites, defines them as heirs to the promise God made to Abraham, and calls them the seed or descendants of Abraham. That's an amazing promise. Galatians 3, uh, 7 through 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. What's the qualification here? Those of faith. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. If you're following along, skip down to uh, verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Also Romans 9 um, verse 8. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. That's our promise. That's the promise to the Gentile and to the Jew. It's not where you came from. It's where you are right now. You were once a stranger. You were once an alien. But no longer. <clears throat> Verse 13, back in Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So once again in our series of Strangers in the Advent, we see that it's God who calls us to himself, not us strangers deciding to search him out. That's really important. We as strangers don't wake up one morning and decide we are going to go search out God. God calls us. We're brought near by the blood of Christ. It is the cause of Christ, the reason is Christ that draws us near not because we made an intellectual decision that it's in our best interest to follow God. We strangers were once far off. There, there's a, a sense of distance here. <coughs> Jim told me to get a drink of water before I got up here, and I didn't. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Our sin is what puts a distance between us and God. Our sin builds a distance between us and God. Every sin we do puts us further and further apart from God. Christ is the only one who's able to bring us near by his blood <laughs> thank you, spilled on the cross. Christ died on the cross for our sins to draw us near. 
Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, go to 2 Corinthians 5. Verses starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. When, Christ, when Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, he suffered as a guilty sinner in place of guilty sinners. He suffered as a guilty sinner in place of guilty sinners. And that brings us near to God. If you're still in 2 Corinthians, great. If you're not, down in verse 21, for our sake he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Does righteousness of God sound like a stranger? The answer is no. It's okay. Tim's not here. We can talk back and forth. We can say amen. Um, we can do anything we want. He's not here. So, uh, verse 14, for, uh, back in Ephesians 2, verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. God has made us both one, and he's broken down this middle wall of separation. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross becomes common ground. Salvation is available now to both the Jew and the Gentile. What's kind of cool is, it broke it down. We only have two groups. We have Jews and everybody else, and those are called Gentiles. So whichever group you're in, you're covered. <laughs> There's not a third. Well, we'll get to it. Um, there's no dividing wall. Jesus broke down that wall. We know that, that at the moment of his death, the curtain was torn between God and man in the Holy of Holies, but also the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile was also broken down. In the temple, we've talked about this many times before, um, in Acts in particular, between the court of the Gentiles and the court of women, there was a physical barrier. There was a wall, an actual wall of separation between the Jew and the Gentile. There was an inscription on the wall there's a sign It warns Gentiles that they would only have themselves to blame for their death if they crossed over the wall into the inner courts. Think about that. You walk into the, the court of the Gentiles and there's a wall. It says, if you go past this wall and you're killed, because that's what we're going to do, it's your fault. It's on you. Because 
you broke the law. We put in this wall of separation. There's a separation between Jew and Gentile in the temple. Don't cross that wall. When Paul talks about hostility here, it's a real and palpable thing. It is an actual event. Not just bad feelings that are going on. If Paul wrote this from Rome, which is what we, we believe, at the time of this writing, he was under house arrest, awaiting trial, because he was falsely accused by the Jews of taking a Gentile into the temple past the literal wall of separation. Paul's writing from experience. Paul is in prison because he's been accused of doing this very thing. But Paul makes it clear that in Jesus, that wall is gone. It's no longer there. The source of contention between Jew and Gentile was the fact that the Gentiles didn't keep the law. Since Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf and he bore our penalty for failure to keep the law, we're reconciled to him through his work on the cross. Let me say that again. Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf and bore the penalty for our failure to keep the law. And we are reconciled to him through his work on the cross. By reconciling us to God, that should break down any wall of contention between us and any other person who's a follower of God. Makes sense, right? Doesn't that, isn't that logical? If you are of Christ and I am of Christ and that wall's been broken down, why is there contention? Why are you still calling me a stranger? We're both in this. He reconciles both to God in one body through the cross and Jews and Gentiles are brought together in one body, the church. He says, so as to create in himself one new man from the two. So I said, there's Jew and there's Gentile. I sort of lied. Because in the first century, early Christians called themselves a third race. They said, we're a new race. I'm not a Gentile anymore. I'm not a Jew. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Christ. And they, they really referred to themselves as, as a new man, embracing all who are in Jesus. So we're not calling each other Jew and Gentile. We're calling each other brother and sister. And it breaks down that wall of contention. Uh, Chrysostom explained that it's not that Christ brought one up to the level of the other, but he produced a greater unified body. It's certainly being brought into the family of Abraham but Chrysostom said, it's not that they brought Gentiles up to the level of Jews. He brought Jew and Gentile up to the level of children, inheritors, the household of God.
Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Christ preached peace to those who were far off, to the Gentiles, and to those who were near, the Jews. You see, we're starting, in, in Paul's writing, he's starting to bring in both sides. We start with, you're a stranger, you're an alien, you're a Gentile, you are outside the commonwealth. And now by the time we get to verse 17, he preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. He's bringing the two together. Isaiah 57, 19 says, Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. There was a real hostility, a real separation. There was a wall. There was a separation between Jew and Gentile, and God promised healing and peace to those who are near and to those who are far. To the Jew and the Gentile, Christ brings peace because he reconciles both to him and when we're standing next to each other before the cross, it's kind of hard to say, you're not as good as me. You're a stranger because we're both covered by the same blood. Both hear the same gospel. Both receive the same peace. We both have the same access to God. We both have the same Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Neither Jew nor Gentile has greater access at this point. Our access is through the Spirit. Matt kind of mentioned this morning in polytheism, they don't have the concept of the omnipresence of God. And the idea that God dwells with you is, is foreign. Their gods are you know, at Mount Olympus or in their temple or out causing mischief or something like that, but they're, they're, they don't have that omnipresence that God shows here, and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. How can we be separate? How can we be aliens to each other if we both have the same Holy Spirit dwelling in us? You see what God's doing? He's pulling us together under him. We enjoy the same walk with God. At this point, we have to consider our status as strangers. Oddly enough, verse 19 brings that up. <laughs> verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. No longer. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Uh, strangers and aliens. Uh, some have suggested or that uh, this was a, they consider this like second class citizens. And that's not true because they're not citizens at all. Um, I knew a, a gentleman I worked with who was um, uh, a native of Hong Kong during the, the British colonial time. And he'd come to the United States and become a U.S. citizen. And to go from a colonial citizen to U.S. citizen, he says, you don't understand how great it is to be just a citizen. I'm not a colonial citizen or a second-class citizen. I'm just 
a citizen. He says, we have the same passport. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. There is only those in Christ. Strangers at this time. So if you lived in Ephesus and you referred to somebody as a stranger or somebody said there was a stranger, strangers were complete foreigners. They had no rights. They had no privileges. They did not own property. They, nothing. They, they were somebody who walked in from out in the country and walked into your city. That is a stranger. Aliens were non-citizens who dwelt in the city. Um, they had some privileges. Um, but they were still outsiders as far as the citizens were concerned. A citizen looked at an alien as something less than a citizen. They had rights, they had some privileges, they had some protection, but nothing like that of a citizen. Citizens were the only ones that were accorded full rights and full privileges. Only a citizen could vote. In some places, only a citizen could own land. So there was definitely benefits and privileges of being a citizen. We've gone from strangers to citizen to family. Think how cool that is. <laughs> we didn't just go from strangers to alien or strangers to citizen. We became family. We are strangers no more. How's that for an advent? How's that for advent praise? We're no longer strangers. Strangers who recognize the call of God, who respond to Jesus Christ, who repent of their sin and rely on the sacrifice that Jesus offers us as atonement for our sin are strangers no more. We are community with the saints. Talked about being not outside the commonwealth. We are now that commonwealth. We are that community. We are now children of God. We are in his household. Jesus Christ is our elder brother. We inherit eternal life. One of the running jokes in our family is anytime Matt does anything, I tell him he's out of my, out of my will. But, so he doesn't inherit. And I says, but we really like Becca, so she's in, so he's okay. Understand God will never place, and he is, he's, I love my son, he's still in the well. But, but we, we are never outside, we are never cast out. We are always in that family. Now there's a mention here of apostles and prophets. And I was reading, you know, I read a lot of commentaries when I prepare for these. And the commentaries just raged back and forth over prophets. The word prophet. Are we talking about Old Testament prophets? Some commentators say this is the Old Testament prophets. Some are saying these are New Testament prophets. Some say those, these are just those who preach the gospel. That is a, a way to interpret the word prophet is the one who preaches the word, who prophesies, who brings forth the word. And this raged on and on for several pages. One commentary, it was, you know, a 
three quarters of a big page in a large book over who are these prophets. That ain't the point. <laughs> it's not who these people are. Let's just call them prophets, whatever that is. It doesn't matter because it is Christ who is preached. Let's not focus on the prophet. Let's focus on what he's called to say. What is the message he's bringing? The word of God spoken to man is their claim. If you're an Old Testament prophet, a New Testament prophet, or prophecy as bringing the word, it's the word of God spoken to man. That's enough. There is nothing in themselves that makes them worthy to be this foundation. It is who they preach that makes them worthy to be that foundation, to be faithful, to preach the word of God, to say the words of God. It says Christ is our cornerstone. Again, commentaries went nuts on architectural design and mechanical engineering on what is a cornerstone. A cornerstone actually you know, we think of you set a cornerstone and you build the building around it and they talk about, you know, that sets your square and level and things like that. But more than that, mechanically, the cornerstone, when these buildings were being built in the first century, are what bind the building together. It's what holds everything together. Without the cornerstone, the building collapses. So who is the corner? Christ is that cornerstone. He's not just giving us level and square direction. He is what binds the church together into one body. Christ is our cornerstone. He binds the dwelling place of God together. It is Christ who grows the holy temple that is his church. Verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we've become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, um, it, it refers to that temple, and God dwells with his people. How amazing is that? I mean, we're going through Exodus. We haven't gotten there yet, but we're going to get to the temple, the tabernacle, excuse me, and God dwelling with his people in the tabernacle. That's amazing. Now here in Ephesus, in Ephesians, Paul's telling us we are that holy temple. We are where God dwells. You want a miracle tomorrow? There it is. God is dwelling in you. We're joined together and grown into the holy temple of the Lord. We keep to our common foundation and the whole building of God's people grows together in a beautiful and miraculous way as the holy temple where God dwells in his glory. So 2019 has kind of been a year for me of worship and glorifying God. I get on these things sometimes. <laughs> you guys have put up with a couple over the last few years. But the glory of God is expressed in his holy temple. The glory of God is expressed in us as the body of God. How wonderful is that? 
tells us that the church is a dwelling place, a place where God lives. It's never an empty house. It's never a museum. I think all of us have, have talked about, my brother does a lot of traveling in Europe, and he mentioned just on Christmas walking into a big, beautiful cathedral. Seats thousands, literally thousands. The thing is massive. And he asked the, the priest, he says, how many people, you know, attend service here on Sunday? He goes, oh, a couple hundred, sometimes. It becomes a museum. It becomes empty. But that's not the temple of God. It's never to be an empty house with no one living inside. The church is to be both the living place of God and his people. To say we build a place like the tabernacle where God dwells and we come and visit is one thing. To say God dwells in us and we dwell with God is a miracle. And to go from being a stranger to being the one whom with God dwells is amazing. And it's through Jesus Christ that it's accomplished. We've looked at strangers this Advent season, strangers who didn't know God, but were known by God. Strangers who weren't looking for God, but answered when God called to them. A stranger is a person who lives a life of sin, lost, separated from God, separated from their creator, and separated from their savior but God calls them. Jesus Christ is born in Bethlehem to die on a cross in Jerusalem, to be raised from dead in glory in the garden tomb. That is God's call to all mankind. To all of us strangers, Christ risen is the call to us. All strangers come to Jesus Christ for salvation and reconciliation. All strangers, when they respond in faith and repentance, God changes them from strangers to members of his glorious household. We, go from, we don't go from stranger to citizen. We go from stranger to member of the household. You and I were those strangers. No matter what your heritage, you were a stranger because you were alienated from God. We start talking about, we started by talking about Jews and Gentiles being separated from each other, and we end with, we are joined together with Christ. It's kind of amazing how Paul twisted that around, huh? Almost like he's good at this. I pray you've heard the call of God, and that you are a citizen and a member of God's household. If you're not, come talk to me later. <laughs> I would love to be with you as you enter the family, the household of God, and have the Holy Spirit dwell with you. But that's our praise in this Advent season. We were once strangers, but we are no longer. We are the household, the holy temple of God. Let's pray. Father God, you are glorious. You're incredible. And fortunately for us, you are loving and merciful. 
when you sent your son to die for our sins so that we can be reconciled to you, so we can become your household. Thank you. Be with us this day and this week as we enter a new year on the calendar that it will be a time of sweet fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.